This is Energy Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risk and lead the world into the energy future. I'm Tisha Schuler, usually your host and the principal of Adamantine Energy. During this season, season two, we're focusing on the bridge from vision to pragmatic execution in game-changing leadership. On today's show, I answer your questions in my Ask Me Anything edition. The interviewer and host for today is my son, Carter Schuler. Carter's home for the holidays um, from Minneapolis, where he's finishing his senior year of high school online and playing juniors hockey. Uh, you can imagine my delight at getting to do a podcast with my eldest son. To learn more about the Energy Thinks podcast and our work at Adam and Teen, visit our website at energythinks.com. Here's my conversation between Carter and me. Mom, thank you for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast. Let's start with one of the toughest questions first. Why does a decarbonizing energy future need oil and gas? Thanks, Carter. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Um, <laughs> I, um, I, I love this question because um, a lot of people within the industry are actually curious, but I usually get this question from people outside of industry who are uh, wondering, wait, why do we need oil and gas in the decarbonizing energy future? The whole point is that we don't need oil and gas, but that's incorrect because it is only the oil and gas industry that can work at the scale required to transition a huge energy system that is actually needs to grow and provide more energy to developing economies around the world. It is only us that can really accelerate and address the transitions required for the energy future. So let's just give one example in the US. We have millions and millions and millions of miles of pipe. And so this is steel in the ground. So this is a system that would take so much mining, so much resources, to replace, whether you want to replace it with electricity or hydrogen, uh, you name it. What we want to do is figure out how to take advantage of the infrastructure in place and decarbonize it. And that is the opportunities that we bring to the table. And then you add that just existing infrastructure, the billions of dollars that we as an oil and gas industry can invest in R&D in pilot scale projects, in field scale projects, we have the resources to really try, test, transform the energy system as we know it. And then last, we have millions and millions and millions of employees around the world, the best and brightest. In some cases, our companies have a 40% millennial workforce, well-educated, talented. So you put these three things into play, existing infrastructure, R&D dollars and capabilities, and then the, the people that we have, and the decarbonizing energy future not only doesn't happen with oil and gas, but with us engaged, it happens faster. Ooh, these are pretty tough. Mom, you say we will know we are game changers when we are no longer trying to educate the public. You can't mean that we don't educate anymore. Yeah, that's a good one. I get this question a lot because I discourage oil and gas companies, oil and gas trade associations from going out and conducting education because it's one of our fallbacks. They just don't understand. If only they knew, if only we could educate them. But what we've learned is that education has a place 
but it's not with someone who already doesn't trust you. So there's a couple things that we can turn to in science to help us understand this phenomenon. The first is confirmation bias. So science tells us that people gather information based on their existing values and identity. And people reject information that doesn't align, that creates cognitive dissonance with who they think they are. Each of us do this every day with how we choose um, our news sources, usually things that we generally agree with. And when we read about a study, we put it through the filter of, do I agree with that result or disagree? And then we decide if it's valid or invalid. So the confirmation bias is a way that people assimilate new information into their consciousness. Basically, they don't. So that's one thing. A second thing that science tells us is about something called the backfire effect. And this means that anytime there's an emotionally charged issue, pick climate, for example, <laughs> then if people are emotionally charged, when you provide them with scientific information that disagrees with their opinion, studies have shown that people double down on their original perspective. So for example, when I was the CEO of the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, I would go into a community, I would show them 10 years of safe groundwater data, groundwater sampling data. I would convey that I'm a geologist and that this information demonstrated fracking was safe and the crowd would become enraged and I didn't understand it, but that was the backfire effect at work. So you can't go into an environment that's emotionally charged and say, let us teach you, let us show you the science. What you can do is work to build rapport. And there's no media campaign that builds trust and rapport. This is hard work, person by person, heart by heart, mind by mind. This is most effectively done in your individual relationships. And we have millions of oil and gas employees in the US. So if every person is engaging in building trust and rapport with people in their circles, we can transform how people think about oil and gas. This happens by engaging in conversations with curiosity to learn the other person's perspective and not engaging in education until they've shown an interest. So for example, I might say, are you interested in another opinion? Would you like to hear how this looks to me? And now we have a basis for developing trust and then engaging in education. We do know that the people most trusted to tell a, a member of the public about oil and gas is someone they know who works in the oil and gas industry. So we are effective, we can educate, but we have to focus on trust relationship building first. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. Alrighty, I like this question. My wife and I are both early in our careers working in Midland. How do we prepare ourselves to be part of the oil and gas industry of the future? Oh, that is a good one. Okay. All of you um, Energy Thinks listeners know that I'm crazy for the millennial workforce. So a question coming in from millennials on how to be a part of preparing for the energy future is really interesting because I usually focus on how we create an environment that millennials want to stay. But for those of you who are millennial listeners, I think there's a few things. One, we really need to watch what's happening in the decarbonizing energy space. We need to keep an eye on the pressures coming from investors, pressures happening in Europe. And we need as individuals to understand that these pressures are moving 
in one direction and they're not going to change. So although you might be a reservoir engineer focused on your very specific task, or you might be a landman focused on uh, the, the responsibilities of your job, as employees of the industry, we can be thinking about a future that's going to be higher tech, more AI, and more participatory in, in crafting the energy future. So I would keep an eye on developments and then I would work on the same things we do in all other industries, our technical capabilities, our um, computer skills, our flexibility and thinking about how things are changing. So for example, you're getting to meet my son Carter here. I keep an eye on what's he doing? What are his apps? What are his hobbies? Because these actually foreshadow a lot of the changes that will come into um, our energy future. So thanks for that awesome question. We will be back to the Energy Thinks podcast momentarily, but if you work in the oil and gas industry, you understand that we are facing a massive set of disruptions that are unprecedented in our lifetimes. This pandemic has upended the world in which we operated. How can oil and gas leaders face these disruptions in ways that aren't just reactive, but proactive? Tisha Schuler's new book, The Game Changers Playbook, How Oil and Gas Leaders Thrive in an Era of Continuous Disruption, is that guide for oil and gas leaders who want to make sense of this moment and chart a better path ahead. Order your copy today at energythinks.com backslash game changer. And now back to the show. This one came in through a LinkedIn message. Our company does not have any DEI program. I'm just a manager, not a company leader. How do I encourage us to start? Okay, so this is a good one. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. I have made the case that racial equity and justice is one of the disruptors changing the oil and gas industry forever. The movement is deep and enduring and our, it is the responsibility of our company and companies and our leaders to participate as civic leaders in this transformation. Now that said, a, a lot of companies, including some of our adamantine clients are really starting from scratch. So one thing I want to say is that the less you think this is your responsibility, like, oh, I'm just a manager or, well, we don't have a problem <laughs> with, uh, with racism in our company or, or something like that. We don't have awkward conversations. The more you think this is not on your plate, the more it is because it is incumbent upon each of us to take a forward looking, forward stepping role in addressing diversity, equity, and inclusion. So a good place for someone to start is simply to express interest, express interest to managers, express interest to coworkers, and then participate yourself. So if your company doesn't have a, um, a program in place, each of us should be reading books, educating ourselves, participating in, com in conversations, and diversifying our own mindset, circles, and sources of information. So if your company doesn't have a DEI program, I hope it will in a year. Uh, but if not, then I think take, do your part to educate yourself and to start conversations within your company. This next question is, it seems like you're telling us to give up and give in. How can this be game-changing leadership? Ooh. Ouch. What do you say to that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, I love, I love, thank you listeners for putting in your hard questions. And I do get a strong amount of resistance at this idea of embracing climate change, embracing decarbonizing the energy future is losing a political 
battle. So I would like to offer a reframing of this, and that is to think about climate and investor pressure and public opposition as a hurricane off the coast. And as an oil and gas companies, we know how to prepare for risk. When there's a hurricane coming off the coast, you do not know if it will impact your facility, but you know there's a chance it might. And so you prepare, you prepare your facility and you prepare for what may be required. And the changes being asked of, demanded of the oil and gas industry, are like that. It's irrelevant if they jive with our political identity, with our own personal beliefs. These are expectations from our investors, from our elected leaders, from our community members, and in many cases from our own employees. So what is really the more leadership-centric approach to this is to say, okay, this is what I have to address. What actions do I take as a leader to mitigate my risk? What actions do I take as a leader to be the disruptor rather than the passive recipient of these disruptive forces? And so stepping out of our political identity is almost impossible. I'm not in any way saying it's easy, but it's part of the hard work of leadership in a time where disruption is changing everything as we know it. So I think the first step is to take all of these conversations out of the political context, put them into the risk context, and then ask ourselves, what does game-changing leadership look like for me, for my company, for my team for the next year? Mom, I'm gonna end by asking you one of the tough questions you ask your guests. In what ways are you changing your own leadership style to make sure you're rising to the challenges of this moment? Thanks, Carter. Always the teenager with the tough question. Um, so two, two things that I'll mention that I'm working on personally and uh, listeners are, are invited to hold me accountable to, to these two things. One is to make racial equity and justice part of everything I do. Every podcast, every writing, every presentation, um, and this is because it is incumbent upon us as leaders to be a committed part of enduring lasting change. And I take that responsibility uh, very uh, deeply and very seriously. So that's one thing. The second thing I'm working on in the face of so much disruption is to really introduce a kind of discipline into my work. So addressing disruptors, game changing, this creates a lot of swirl. And I'm a person that likes to have like a spreadsheet, a clipboard, a bullet list. And so what my work for 2021 is to really be systematic about being thoughtful, um, about how we address uh, in a very disciplined way, transforming the oil and gas industry as we know it and doing my part by bringing you all the trends that I'm seeing and what I think is the prescription for success. Now, the, the last thing I'll say is that this requires a kind of courage that I barely have. Um, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep sending me your critiques because I become stronger from everyone. Um, but I also will tell you that I am, in, I am asking of myself to be more courageous, tell it like I see it, and be a part of leading our oil and gas industry into the energy future. And then collectively we lead the world into our energy future. So we'll close it with that. I just wanna say thank you to Carter for being here today. I thought those, uh, those were some excellent answers, mom. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Eddie. 
That's our episode for today. Thanks to my son, Carter, for asking the questions. You are always welcome to send me your questions uh, throughout the season. I'd like to know what you thought about what you've heard here today. So visit our podcast website at energythinks.com slash podcast, and please let me know. You can subscribe to Energy Thinks on iTunes, Spotify, and other major podcast platforms. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment and rate us. Thanks for listening to the Energy Thinks podcast. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.